Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Hey, so today's episode, I think, is a real wake-up call. You may not think about it often, but chances are your personal information is significantly at risk online. I'm interviewing a cybersecurity expert about the many security gaps in the average person's online presence, from social media to cloud data storage to Wi-Fi usage. Most people haven't even thought of many of these risks, and if they have, really put it to the back of their mind, because you know what? Sometimes it is a pain in the butt to change what we're doing, right? Uh, To protect ourselves. But in today's talk, we discuss many ways that we can take practical precautions. Some of the most striking points we discuss are how much personal data is publicly available online and how important email security is in the broad scheme of things. The conversation is certainly bound to alarm many of you in the audience, but it also includes practical steps to circumvent these dangers and protect your information. Be sure to stick around to the end where we answer several of the most asked questions about cybersecurity. So today's enriching fact of the day is that there is scientific proof the mind can actually heal the body. Researchers do their best to outsmart the placebo effect, but this effect is really an evidence that our body has within itself innate self-repair mechanisms. The Spontaneous Remission Project, a database containing over 35,000 case studies from medical literature detailing this powerful effect the mind has on the body, Seemingly incurable illnesses like stage 4 cancers, HIV, heart disease, and more have been completely reversed and cured without medical explanation. But while the placebo effect has been documented to benefit patients whose mental outlook overcame horrific illnesses, the opposite also holds true. There have been numerous documented cases of people who mistakenly believed they are terminally dying for no other reason. This has been called the nocebo effect, and it tells us something profound about our minds. Today's enriching fact reveals that what we choose to believe about ourselves is just as important as what we eat, how active we are, or what supplements we take. Health starts in the mind. We can lengthen and enhance our lives just by changing the way we think. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you are looking for financial strategies for growing and protecting your wealth, check out Bank on Yourself by Living Wealthy Financial. You never know where the economy is heading or what the stock market is going to do next, but fortunately, you don't have to. Bank on Yourself offers proven strategies for families and individuals and businesses to safely invest their money outside the market while growing and accessing those funds on their own terms. This is perfect for those who would like to fund major expenses like college and vacations and weddings, business expansions, medical emergencies, 
or even create a stream of tax-favored retirement income. Bank on Yourself allows you liquidity, tax-favored growth, and complete control over your investment, and it is guaranteed to grow no matter what is going on in the markets. For more information, to schedule an appointment, or to request free copy of Bank on Yourself Revolution book, visit livingwealthyfinancial.com. For the free book, just click on Contact Us, and send us an email saying that you'd like a copy of the Bank on Yourself Revolution book for free. Joining us today is Brian Goldstein. He is a cybersecurity expert and an advocate for increased caution and awareness in today's digital society. He's going to share with us some crucial nuts and bolts information for beefing up our security online and minimizing risks. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be interested in cybersecurity. All right. So, um, you know, I started out actually as a, as a musician uh, out, of, out of high school, but, you know, I've always had a love for technology, uh, even from a really young age. I've always really enjoyed finding out how things worked and how things were put together and, and really what made them work uh, when, when you press this button or, or turn this thing, what happens. And so, uh, you know, I kind of pursued music for a little while, but then I, I decided I really wanted to go in, in more in the technology direction. So I've got a bachelor's degree in computer science where, you know, I got to learn a lot of the nuts and bolts of just how things work. I mean, in, in the time when I was going to school, it was uh, – sort of a earlier days of the internet and you know, always wanted to know when you click this button what happens or when you follow this link on the, on the web what happens, how does it know to go there or do that and that's kind of fueled my interest and, and I've just my interest in cybersecurity and protecting people has grown out of just that interest of wanting to know how do things work under the covers but also I like helping people and I've had a couple of events happen in my life where I've had the opportunity to really talk to people about this stuff and help them out in situations where they needed help. And I, I think it's something where I, I would like to be really effective. So your business background, your corporate background, has it been in cybersecurity as well? I mean, have you made this a career? So the company that I, that I currently work for, yes, uh, is part of what we do. Uh, we offer lots of different services uh, around uh, identity protection, access management, things of that nature. Uh, they're moving a little bit more into the cybersecurity space. Um, my background has been in, in very lots of different areas that lots of different areas of technology, uh, from programming to uh, systems architecture. It's been all over the place, but I, in, in the recent last few years, I've really gotten very focused on on cybersecurity and we've gotten gotten very interested in how to uh, help people learn more about it and make sure that they themselves were protected. So define cybersecurity for those who really don't know what it encompasses. So this is really how to, how to keep yourself safe uh, when you've got data and, and information about yourself out there on the internet. Uh, I'm not, not sure if many people are, are aware of this, or you may or may not be. Most people use social networks to a degree. Most people have signed up on a number of different websites. Cybersecurity, in, in a sense, is making sure that the data that you've got out there really can't be used against you, uh, or, or you're not vulnerable to something like an identity theft or 
somebody possibly gaining your personal information and gaining access to your accounts or even you know, stealing your money or something like that. Cybersecurity is taking that online life and making sure that you have appropriate uh, steps and safeguards in place so that if somebody were to try to do that with you using your own information, you've got appropriate guards set up that would hinder them or stop them completely from doing that to you. So every year, right, um, more and more people are, at, at least I'll, I'll speak for myself, right? Every year it seems like um, w when the internet started, we had all this, all our data, all our stuff was offline. And every year we seem to become more dependent on putting stuff online to the point where now there's huge business models built about, uh, around cloud storage and having everything on the cloud, everything from your pictures to all of your data, all of your information, and really not having anything that's paper, right? And so that's where your expertise comes in. How do I protect myself from keeping that data private, out of the hands of those who want to hurt me, my um, personal data that can be used, like identity theft? That's what you're talking about, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, there's a couple different things to think about here. Um, so first, one of the things that I always want people to really understand is that all of the systems that we use, whether it's uh, Dropbox or OneDrive or Google Drive, any of these online systems or cloud systems, even any website that you may give your information to, these are all designed and implemented by human beings. And so I think the majority of of folks that implement this kind of stuff are very smart people, and I think they do do the best they can to protect their systems against any kind of uh, attack. Now, with that said, um, I personally have an intrinsic distrust of anything that I give my information to, not because I think that people are ill-intentioned, in, Ill but because I think that there's always going to be something. It's a cat and mouse game all the time. I mean, think about every TV show you've ever watched where there's a hacker and he's just sitting there, you know, feverish, feverishly typing away on the keyboard, um, you know, guessing people's passwords and stuff. It's not really like that, but it, it's a cat and mouse game. You know, one, one, one side finds a vulnerability, one side finds a way to, to guard against it, and so it keeps going back and forth like that. All of this stuff is designed by human beings. Keep that in mind all the time. There are human beings in, involved at every layer of maintaining the the actual hardware and the, the actual systems that all of these things that we just we load up in our browser and we click a button and now we've got files on there. There's all so many layers underneath to make that actually operate and be available to you. So it's just something to keep in mind, right? These are not these are not bulletproof systems, but they do the best that they can to make it that way. Um, I think that for you as a user there are things that you can do to make sure that you're not opening yourself up to risk. So email, for example, uh, and I'll just pause, you know, talking about the cloud storage for a second, talk about email. Email is kind of like the junction to our online life, right? If you were to look into somebody's inbox, you can see all sorts of stuff in there. You have personal communication, you've got um, notifications from banks, from social networks, from credit cards, all this kind of stuff. If, if a bad guy is able to gain access to your email account, they, they've kind of got a, a little bit of a skeleton key, so to speak, to the rest of your accounts online. Therefore, things like email, things like credit cards, uh, credit card accounts, bank accounts, cloud storage accounts where you may have potentially sensitive information should really be guarded very heavily. 
And so there's a couple things you can do to, to protect those things. First, you know, you want to make sure that your password is really strong, not something easy or guessable or even something that you would find in, in, in a dictionary, for example. Uh, you want a nice, really secure, strong, complex password. You also want to make sure that anywhere where you can enable what's called two-factor or multi-factor multi authentication, you do. And so that means, all that means is that you can get a PIN sent to your phone or you have an app that will show you an additional PIN that you can put in once you sign in. And the reason we always recommend doing that is because even if your, your username and password are in some way compromised, either through you know, a breach of some other website or a data dump or something like that, they can put that username and password in, but if you still need to get a, a PIN sent to your phone in order to complete the, the login, they won't get that. Only you'll get that, and so they'll, they'll be stopped right there. So you know, every, every cloud storage option, I think, that's available on the market today has something along those lines. Uh, I would highly recommend and encourage anybody who uses anything like that to make sure that that's enabled. And it's usually found in the settings you know, under that particular service. And talking about passwords again, if you're going to have strong and complex passwords, you probably want to go and find a password manager to help you remember those. It's a very common thing for people to use the same password on multiple websites, and that's a really bad practice because if some website is breached and the data that's breached from that website is leaked out or posted somewhere, whether it's on the dark web or some other place, your information may be out there. And if you've used the same password on multiple sites, you're opening yourself up for people to be able to get into places you never thought they might be able to get into. So use a password manager, enable two-factor or multi-factor authentication on any of these things. And then the last point I'll make about that, especially as it relates to cloud storage devices and services, is that usually they're going to sync some amount of data to your local computer. So if you use you know, Dropbox or Google Drive, for example, it's not just in the cloud. A lot of those will sync stuff to your actual computer too. So that brings that device into the equation. You always want to think about your data, who can access it, and where can they access it from, right? So you can have tons of account security on your website to where you would access this on the web, but if you've synced all those files down to your laptop or tablet or something like that, and you have poor security on your laptop or your tablet, or you just happen to you know, leave it open when you take a, a bathroom break at Starbucks, uh, you, know, you could be leaving yourself open for someone to potentially see those files. Wow, a lot of great information there. So um, let's talk about digital assets for a moment. And like um, our, our, our whole identity, like if somebody was to, to, you know, have access to my computer, right, or my data, they're going to learn everything about me, right? They're going to have access to all of my, um, if I had it online, right, let's say all of my data, um, they're going to know all of my searches. They're going to really know what I think, what I'm interested in, what I'm curious about, uh, maybe my doctors, maybe um, my finances, uh, my family. They're going to know like everything about me because so much of our life, right, we, we relate to or we, I don't even know the right word, like so much of our life is, is represented in how we interact in, in the cyberspace. And 
like, for instance, um, Google and Facebook and like iDrive or some of these cloud storage in their fine print, my understanding is that it says that by agreeing to use our site, even though I might be paying for it, they own that data and they can use it at any time. What are your thoughts about that? And is that, is that accurate? Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that, that's just a little bit scary to think about, right? I, I think, um, you know, it is important to understand what, who owns your data once it goes on there. Now I haven't read these agreements, so I can't really speak to specifically say like, yes, they own it or no, they don't. But what I can say is, and, and I'll ask you just cause it's probably happened to you. Have you ever done a Google search for something or looked at a product on Amazon and then, uh, a little while later, been on Facebook and seen an ad for the same thing that you were looking at or similar products? Absolutely. This, yeah, this stuff happens very often, and, and these companies are using your, your behavior, right, things that you search for, uh, your, your interactions with people uh, and on social networks and things to develop profiles on you. And, and it's mostly around you know, marketing, right? How do we target market products and services to this person based on the data that they've agreed to give us intrinsically by using the website. Um, now, again, I, I can't speak to who actually owns it. I would want to read those agreements, but it is a very important and valid point you make up because what do you put on these drives, right? You have pictures, pictures of your family. You have important documents that, that may have very dire consequences if they were not yours to own. I think it's really important to, to understand all of that stuff before you agree to use one of these uh, storage places to, to host your files. And, and I'm not sure about who owns it, but the articles and the stuff that I've read, it's an, it's an issue. It's a flag, right? And so I don't know if the online storage, like Dropbox, like I'm not sure who they say owns it. Um, but I know I own it. I have access to it. But do I really own it? Like, can they do anything with it? Can they search? Now, what do they want with my pictures or what do they want with, with my documents? Like, I'm not thinking that Dropbox is looking into my documents and trying to steal money from my bank account. But what they might be doing is exactly what you said. Hey, we have access to if, if you're putting your files and your information in our storage facility we can access that and we can do searches, maybe not personal to me, but we can develop algorithms or use our algorithms to profile you and we can sell that data to somebody else, right? And so that's what I mean by ownership. Um, and that's kind of scary because from a marketing perspective, maybe um, that seems innocuous, but what about you know Amazon and some of these companies that have a very cozy relationship with um, the government? And what if the government wants to profile who is not in favor of, let's say, gun control or who is not in favor of um, you know, ISIS or whatever, I'm making stuff up, right? But it it can be used not just for marketing, it can be used in a lot of different ways. Imagine some of these governments, right, that um, these dictatorships or, or these terrible governments in the past, wouldn't they have loved to have access to how we think and what we're curious about and our documents and our finances and our photos. I mean, wouldn't that have been an amazing tool for them to use against their population? Or, yeah, or, or maybe what kind of food we buy, 
right? It's a slippery slope, what you're talking about, because, uh, you know, what if, what if health insurance were based on, you know, in part a profile of what you purchased, right, at the grocery store, you know? And you can say, um, based, on your, based on your grocery store usage, you know, your, your premiums may be higher than somebody else who buys, you know, potentially healthier food. Then you, I mean, that's just a kind of kind of an odd example. But it, it, when when your data is available for you know anything to be crawled and profiled, there's really no limit to the potential uses of it. And like most things, we have a line that we balance between um, convenience of services and security of our of our data, our identity, and and our you know just what we put out there. And so this is like a this is a thing that's always going to be walked. Right, like it's really convenient for me to go on Facebook and check in with friends that I haven't seen in a long time and see what they're doing and what they're up to. But there's always a price for everything. What's the price for that convenience? You know, are they using my information for nefarious purposes, potentially nefarious purposes? And that's one other point that I, I want to bring up and kind of make people aware of too. Is you know I mentioned earlier that uh, you know all this stuff is designed by human beings, but one of the things that we're seeing more and more is is kind of like the rogue employee, right? And so you can do so many things to protect yourself, as I mentioned before, strong password, mm. multi-factor authentication, password manager. What about the rogue employee that isn't following their policies and, and has in some way access to a database that's got your personal information, right? Mm-hmm. We see this sometimes in you know, cases of, of like espionage, for example, or corporate, um, corporate warfare, Right, where you've got one rogue employee who's got access to some proprietary information that's selling it off to another competitor company um, for price, or even a country, for example. Uh, that that's a really scary thing because you can you can do all the things that you can do, uh, but if the company has not put in place the proper restrictions and, and controls around who can access what data, uh, you can still be susceptible in that way, and so. This kind of brings it back to your question of when you put a file on Dropbox, who really has access to it, right? Do you? Does the company? Do their algorithms? They may say, well, we, we, we look at the data and we use it to build a profile on you, but we don't read it. I think Gmail said that at one point, but I, I don't know how yes. true that was. Um, <laughs> I would like to really like, kind of dig into those uh, terms of service agreements and, and see what, what really is the case there. Well, Google, right? I mean, Gmail, was it really free, right? And and it is free, but is it really free? No, there's there's an exchange really of value, free. right? Nothing's really free, really. They're going to set up this entire infrastructure um, and give free email, give free everything for nothing in return? Of course not. They're one of the you know, highest market cap companies in the entire planet based on the value that they're getting from profiling or using their algorithms on your emails. So it's not really free. And do they really read? I doubt they read every individual email. But again, Google's very cozy with the government and the CIA and not to be all tinfoiled hat here. But really, if they if they they're profiling you and there are certain terms that are coming up, in your emails, right, certain words, then at that point, maybe it's flagged and somebody will personally read it. Let's um, let's talk about passwords because passwords are really, really interesting. Um, so years ago, I started using a password service um, and 
loved it. Like it, it changed my entire life because for so long I had a spreadsheet with all my passwords and, you know, sometimes would use the same password over and over and over again, right. For some innocuous sites, what I thought were innocuous sites, but, um, went from a spreadsheet to using a password service and, just it was like the freedom was huge like no longer did i have to depend on my spreadsheet or my memory to remember a password and um how safe do you think those password services are again it probably goes back to you know there are people behind it and yes it could be safe but um what are your thoughts there so you you have to be selective a little bit in in the ones you use um i know that the, the one that i use uh definitely has multi-factor auth on it, which, you know, I definitely have in place. So, you know, I can only sign in with my username and password plus a pin that gets uh, sent to my phone. Um, but also it, it encrypts your data when, when you're not using it. So you're the only one that can see it, right? So even though I've stored all my usernames and passwords with uh, that particular uh, company, all my stuff is only readable once, I, once I'm logged in and able to put my proper credentials in. Uh, I, I think they're, they, they are kind of susceptible to the same stuff. I think you know, the, the companies that create these password managers understand the risk that they're taking. They understand that they're probably going to be a target because, look, I mean, it's your vault of, of passwords, right? It's your, it's, your, it's your set of keys for everything you do on the internet, um, probably on the same level as you know, protecting your email address. But uh, I, I think you kind of have to look at what's the risk versus what's the reward, right? I think having a password manager, uh, of course, there's going to be a little bit of risk in everything. Again, we go back to things being designed by human beings and making sure they've put the the proper security in place to protect your information that you put on there. Um, But I think the reward in using the password manager, as you said earlier, is that it's protected and that you can you can get away from using the same password everywhere and you don't have to have a spreadsheet that can be stolen or I mean even you know some people just write them down in a notebook or you know the the uh, the posted on the on the monitor for example mm-hmm. um, that, that's a tough one right because you raise a really valid point you know what if what if my uh, password manager account is compromised in some way well now they have all my passwords Anyway, so you're back at square one, right? Um, again, I think risk versus reward is really important here. Um, and then, you know, it's also, I don't know if we want to talk about this now or maybe later, you know, what, what happens if you do have a, a breach of your own security, right? I'm sure as a, as a financial advisor in that space, you've worked with people who have had their identity stolen or, you know, mm-hmm. had to recover from, you know, accounts being hijacked and all sorts of credit card fraud and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure you've seen in most cases uh, the company that's been breached will offer some sort of you know monitoring or something like that. But you yourself, you know, if something like that happens, it's it's a big deal. Um, even if even if you're able to avoid the financial impact of it, it's, it's a huge hassle uh, just in and of itself. To now you've got to go to every <laughs> website you've ever signed up on and make sure that you change your your stuff on there so that you're you're not susceptible to something else. And just as an FYI, there was a, a, you can go online and do like a password generator, right? If, uh, whether you're using one of these password services or not, you can go generate a password, which looks really cool and really encrypted, right? And 
I read somewhere that some of those websites um, will follow you and will know where you're using that password that's being generated. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea, but um, I found that to be really, really interesting. Yeah, the whole password thing, um, gosh, there's a whole... There's a whole lesson there, right? There's a whole mm. bunch of information there. And using two-factor authorization is, of course, very important. Uh, I'm going to share with you something that was really interesting that happened to a very good friend of mine. He um, had his cell phone hacked. Uh, and he he's very cybersecurity conscious. He had two-factor authorization, um, but somehow someone called up his cell phone service uh, and he was specifically targeted because of the work that he does and basically they stole his telephone number so one day he's using his phone um and it was no longer that that telephone number so have, have you heard about this so yeah, I think I, I read something about this uh, recently, and and I think what what it was is that I think that the people were in some way able to I guess fool the the phone company into porting a phone number over to them, which yes. which is just absolutely crazy to me. Um, but it, it make, really makes you think, and it kind of points back to humans being the most kind of fallible point here. Um, I I don't know if if many people have heard the term, but you know, social engineering is a very a huge part of what most people refer to as, you know, hacking or, or, you know, trying to penetrate into a company. And so a lot of this stuff ties into how an employee can be socially engineered, right? I, I don't know who, I don't know who, what company it was that had the phone number that was ported, but for, for somebody to be able to call that company and have enough information to verify themselves to a degree where that company would port that phone number is kind of just crazy to me that that could happen. Um, but when you think about it, and, and you know, for everybody listening, think about what information you put online and think about how accessible it is to other people. Is your Facebook private? Is your Instagram private? Is your, are your social networks available to just anybody? This is really important stuff because a, a lot of times these companies base their security authorization on uh, question and answer pairs. You know, what was the first car you had in 1987 or whatever? And so a lot of this stuff can actually be found online if, if, you're, if your accounts are not made private so that they're only viewable to the people that you want to see them. And so a lot of people don't even realize this kind of stuff. I, I had a, a case um, specifically with a colleague of mine where he was just trying to get into uh, a, one of our one of our systems that another person had set up, and so there's different kinds of questions that they can ask you. They can either, you can either set them up, you know, like kind of enroll in this thing where you pick the questions and answers, or there's something else called knowledge-based authentication, which pulls stuff from public data to ask you, you know, which one of these four things is your sister's name or what color was the car you had in 1993? And that's all pulled from public record. And so if that's the kind of stuff they're asking you, if they can find that stuff online because you haven't locked it down and made it secure, that's really scary. And so when you think about all of the things that your phone becomes an additional factor to, the fact that somebody can port a number unbeknownst to the actual user 
is really scary. And so I, I would urge people, give your phone company a call and ask them, what, what is the um, protection against my number being ported? And ask if there's any additional protection that you can set up to avoid that happening. And again, if you feel like that's going to be a hassle, think about all of the things that your phone helps you to protect, right? Like, do you have accounts for uh, cryptocurrency or do you have second factor on your email? Is there sensitive stuff in there? That's going to be more of a hassle to deal with than calling your phone company and asking them to put some more security around porting your number over. Well, that's exactly what I did, right? And I made it with my uh, cell phone company where I had to go into the store to change my carrier. So no one can just call and port my number. Now, if someone's got my ID and they show up to a store and say they're me and they want to port the number, well, I guess at that point, right? What do I do? But um, I did immediately call up my, my cell phone company and did exactly what you're suggesting. And something curious about the questions that were asked, right? So years ago, I um, don't remember what I was doing. Oh, I do. It was FedEx, right? I, I had signed on to FedEx or I'd logged on to FedEx to get a package. And here they are asking me those kind of questions that you're talking about. Like, what address did you live? Um, what street address did you live when, you know, 1999? Or what was your first car? Or did you ever have a loan? And I called FedEx. I was really, really pissed off. I was like, I'm, I'm trying to get a package. You know, I was trying to do something very innocuous, right? I don't remember what it was, but it was very innocuous. And I was like, you're having me answer these questions that are very private. Why do you even have access to this data on me when all I'm trying to do is something very innocuous? And it had me think about, you know, over and over again, a lot of these like your bank and your credit card company, they've got these questions like, where would you like to retire? Where did your parents meet? Uh, you know, who was your teacher when, you know, you were in fourth grade? Well, I'm thinking, and Brian, you might be able to tell me, that there's a database that's collecting all of these questions and answers that over the years I've put out there. And they've got all that information on me. Yeah. Yeah, this is a service. This is not this is not an inform this is not information that FedEx collected on you. FedEx is contracted probably with a company like LexisNexis to mm -hmm. uh to pull this data over. So when you're trying to authenticate yourself to FedEx, they're probably taking some key identifier about you like a social security number or you know something that can identify you in this kind of public data database and sending it over to that company and they're sending back, uh, you know, whatever information that they can gather through whatever public data is available. Um, so that, that's probably what's going on there. Um, but it is a little bit off-putting, right? Because you, you, would, you would think that this company should not know this stuff about me. Not many people should know this stuff or what kind of car I drove 23 years ago. But this comes out of, uh, you know, th this kind of service. And this is offered to, to many places. I mean, um, city or city government agencies use this kind of stuff uh, to authenticate people. Lots, lots of different places use this, but it is a little bit off-putting. I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. 
Yes. And so that's the public records database. And then I think, and, and you might be able to tell me that there is a database that collects all of my answers to all these innocuous questions. And there's a profile with all of my answers, right? So I don't know if that's true or if it's my tinfoil hat, but, um, I, you know, I think, I think there's a database that knows where my parents met <laughs> and where I honeymooned <laughs> and my first car, oh, right? I some, somewhere, somewhere there is because it's got to make sure it knows that the answer is right, right? So if it's asking you, uh, you know, which of these cars did you drive in, uh, again, like 1992, uh, it knows which is the right answer because if you answer incorrectly, it can't validate your identity. So, yeah, of course, there's a database that knows this stuff. Now, just, just to differentiate that for a second, you know, if you are, say, signing into your bank or something like that, and you've gotten to pick the questions that, that you answer, yeah. uh, most, most places allow you to pick which questions you want to use for, uh, for an identity verification. Um, those, are typically, uh, those are typically just within that organization. So they're probably, unless the organization is sending them out somewhere, uh, those are typically going to stay within the organization. And in most cases, those that information should be encrypted, uh, especially, you know, something, something financial. Most financial institutions are going to follow, you know, regulatory things uh, so that they don't get in trouble in how they operate. Uh, so your data doesn't usually leave that organization. And, you know, we, we've, in, in the company that I work for, we've, we've done lots of, you know, stuff with, with financial institutions and healthcare, and they're, in my experience, I, I can't speak for all, but in my experience, they are very, uh, usually very careful about protecting people's personal information. And, and, and I think most entities that I've worked with are extremely cognizant of what they're doing and, you know, do the best they can to protect that information. Well, there are institutions out there that know who my uh, favorite stuffed animal was when I was growing up and who my best friend was in eighth grade. So, um it would be good to know that they kept it within the organization. It's not in some public database, uh, which is pretty funny. So um, let's uh, let's answer some really quick questions because I know we're running out of time. Um, what digital asset should we protect about above all others? Like, what's the most important one? Would you say? I, I would guess it's the password management software that we use that's got all our other passwords, right? But what would you say? Yeah, that one, that one, and email, I think, are my my top two ones because, uh, for me, I, I really, you know, like we talked about before, I really think your your email is where all your stuff comes together. You know, you get all your notifications there, you get all of your signups there. You can learn a lot about somebody by going through their email. I'm not saying mm -hmm. I've done it, but you can learn a lot about me by going through. That's not a challenge to people out there. I'm just saying you can <laughs> learn a lot from going through somebody's email. Um, and 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 really, if you haven't thought about it, think about every time you go to a website and you see that little I forgot my password link on the website, right? If you have mm -hmm. access to somebody's email, you can, you can see which websites they're getting notifications from. You can go mm -hmm. to that website, even if you don't know their password at that particular time. Like, look, if you're into their email, try their email password in the other website. There's a good chance they use it there too. But if they haven't, you can click that I forgot my password. It's going to send a link to their email, which you have access to, that you can then go through and reset their password to something else that you know. And now you've got access to any number of websites that follow that 
protocol of resetting a password. Now, I will say that a lot of websites now are doing some sort of uh, what's called an out-of-band authentication, meaning they're going to send you a pin to your phone or something like that when you try to reset a password to kind of guard against that. But a lot still don't. They just let the password reset happen strictly through a link that's sent to the email, and they assume that the email has been secured. So password managers, very important. Make sure you have as much security on them as you can because they just straight up have the passwords. But your email is also extremely important because that's not only a, a good source of information about you, but it's also a method by which people can gain access to other websites that you may have signed up on or be a member of. What about email services that promise to encrypt your data or encrypt the, the data that's being sent? And what about having like a second email, like you've got your main email for all your stuff, but then maybe a second one that you keep private that can have some of the more confidential data? Yeah, I, I think that's a good strategy to have. I mean, you don't, you don't really have to pay for emails anymore. You know, it used to be that you would have to be part of a service to have an email address, but you, anybody can get an email address for free now. Um, I think that's a good strategy to have, uh, especially if you just use one for signing up on websites or, you know, if you want to sign up for, you know, deals or coupons or whatever, you do all that stuff on one email address and then you save one just for your own kind of personal correspondence for stuff. Mm. Um, now, you, you also, when we talk about, encrypting or keeping data private, we have to talk about the ways that happens. You have your communication to the, to the email website itself, right? Like between your computer and the actual servers that that email service is sitting on. That's usually protected. If you see the little lock icon in your web browser, you know, that's usually not an issue. So anybody that may be listening in on that say, I'm just going to say phone wire, but it's, we all know it's not a phone wire. Anyone that may be listening in on what data is going back and forth is really not going to be able to get it uh, easily because it's encrypted as it travels across the Internet. Uh, but think about what you send in your emails and if somebody gains access to the email address of the person you sent it to. So let's mm -hmm. say I'm talking to a receptionist at a, at a doctor's office about an appointment for one of my kids, and I send a Social Security number in the email, right? Not a, not a great idea to do, right? Something like that should be communicated over the phone. However, I, I have an email service where you can password protect emails, which effectively encrypts them. So you encrypt the email, you send it to the other person, they get it, but then they can't actually open and read the email until they know the password to type in to view the email, and you communicate that password uh, through some other channel, over the phone or whatever. So I think it's worth looking into. Um, recently, I switched off of Gmail to another service so that I could have that ability. Um, and, and also, I just, you know, I kind of have a growing <laughs> distrust of large organizations in, in, in general. Um, and I just, I, I like uh, this company a lot better. And I felt that they were very uh, security and privacy oriented. So it's something, something it. you might consider. Last question, because we are almost out of time. Uh, connecting to Wi-Fi in public places. You know, many people travel, work from their laptops on the go or on their phone, and they're connecting to Wi-Fi. And I know public Wi-Fi, and I know there are all sorts of dangers there. What are your tips for uh, connecting to public Wi-Fi networks or keeping data private while you're out and about? Yeah, I, I, yeah, you raise a good question, right? You know, most, most people will tell you don't connect to public Wi-Fi, but that's not really practical um, because 
you know, I'm a, I'm a mobile worker. I, I work everywhere. Um, lots of people do. I, I think a couple things to help keep you safe. Make sure you know what network you're connecting to. So if you're sitting in a coffee shop or you're in an airport, uh, there should be something posted somewhere around that gives you the, the name of the network that you're connecting to. And that's important because if somebody has decided to uh, create their own network with maybe just one little slight difference in the name, if they own the network, they can see all the traffic on the network. So if you decide to connect to, say, Starbucks One, which somebody's created by themselves, mm. versus Starbucks, which is the actual Starbucks network, that person who created Starbucks One could be running software on the computer running that network to intercept all of the information that you are sending either to a bank or to your social networks or to whatever, and you would never know. You would just be browsing away, doing whatever you're doing. It would not be apparent to you that they were doing that. Um, so really, first and foremost, make sure you're joining the network that you think you're joining. That's important. Uh, if you have a VPN service, um, that, that you can use, which basically puts all of your data that you're sending into an encrypted tunnel, uh, even if it's on a public Wi-Fi. I would highly recommend doing that. I have one. I use it whenever I'm on a public Wi-Fi. Uh, it's, it's a really good practice. They, they've really, they used to be expensive. They've come down in price a lot. A lot of them have a little browser plugin that you can install that you just uh, you, you turn it on, and it's just you, you let it connect, and then all of your data goes through that connection, and you don't have to really worry about uh, anybody really being able to listen in on that. Uh, last, if you're just going to be there for a little bit, try to avoid doing potentially risky things on a public Wi-Fi. So if you're sitting on you know, a coffee shop or a restaurant, what have you, try to avoid doing things like checking your bank or you, you know, signing into any potentially like really risky websites that you don't want compromised. But a VPN service is really, I think, one of my best recommendations for it, and there's lots of them out there. The last thing I'll mm. say, education is key. There's lots of stuff on YouTube. There's lots of stuff on uh, online academies like Udemy or whatever. Uh, the stuff is out there. You don't, you, don't get a speeding, you, don't, you don't get out of a speeding ticket by telling the officer that you didn't know the limit was 45. So you know, this is the world we live in now. Even if it's a high-level education, I would urge everybody try to get some basic understanding of how this stuff works just so you can protect yourself and your family. Well, Brian, I think the information you shared with our listeners today is a great uh, resource and a great start. And uh, really, we didn't want to share this information to freak anyone out or to make them really nervous. And on the other hand, yes, be nervous. Uh, if you haven't taken steps to protect your data, to protect your identity, to protect your emails, to protect your passwords, uh, consider this the wake-up call to do so because uh, it is not fun to have your identity stolen and I'm sure nobody who's listening wants to have, um, even if they've got nothing to hide, right? That's, that's the old saying, well, I do nothing wrong, I've got nothing to hide. Well, that's great, but still, do you, do you want to have, you know, somebody um, in on all your information, right? Um, and most of us certainly do not. Please share with our listeners, Brian, how they can find you online. Thank you. So you can go to cybersafeon.com. Uh, that's the word cybersafe and the word on.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email info at cybersafeon.com, and we'll be happy to get back to you. Fantastic information. Thank you again so much for joining us on Living Wealthy Radio. We will upload a copy of this podcast onto livingwealthyradio.com and Brian's contact information. 
and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you again for the work you're doing. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.